Hi, this is Dr. Diana Pavlak-Glyer. I'm the co-editor of A Compass for Deep Heaven, navigating the C.S. Lewis Ransom Trilogy. And you are listening to Pints with Jack. Through his knowledge of the creatures and his love for them, he began, ever so little, to hear it with their ears. This is Pints with Jack, Season 6, Episode 22, Lost in Translation, Out of the Silent Planet, Chapter 19. Welcome everyone, here on Pints with Jack, we're reading our way through the works of C.S. Lewis. I am Matt, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Andrew and David. In this season, we find ourselves among the stars, reading through the first of C.S. Lewis's science fiction trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet. And I found, before we dive in here, and since do a little chit-chat, guys, I found the line that I read for that quote to be profoundly wise. Through his knowledge of the creatures, which I, I just interpret to be required in openness, a willingness to learn, to be vulnerable with these uncertain unknown as we've seen, and through his love, which probably came from the knowledge, he could hear it with their, their ears, mm. not his own ears. Like it's true empathy. Like the, the progression of empathy was to approach the unknown, the uncertain. Like it, it really summarizes his entire journey. And I, I just, oh, I loved it. Well, and it's, it echoes what Lewis says in um, Experiment and Criticism. He's hearing with other ears. Lewis says later, 20 years later, I must see with other eyes. My own eyes are not enough for me. Mm, I like that. Well, in, if you recall, guys, Ransom is in Meldalorn speaking with Oyarsa, the spiritual being which rules the planet. And in the last episode, Ransom responded to Oyarsa's questions. And today it's Divine and Weston's turn. And so today we're going to have this incredible juxtaposition of two journeys on the same planet. And they really all started from, I don't want to say similar points because Ransom, I would argue, was better than Weston Divine. But they both started from unknown, uncertain points and, and ended up at very very different directions. Think about that airplane with a slight deviation. You can end up in San Francisco or San Diego. Uh, we're about to witness that here. And so this is going to be fun. And there's a little bit of funny humor in here. Uh, we get to see some ignorance and stupidity, which I find very funny. So this is going to be a fun episode, guys. But before we do, how have you guys been? It's been, what, three weeks since we recorded? Two weeks? Feels like forever, doesn't it? I uh, know it does. <laughs> I missed my uh, piffle triggy rigidity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we we have the results back from at least our Slack community identifying which of the Hanau we each are. Okay, I'm a fiffle triggy. Matt is uh, Ross, despite his aversion to poetry, making Andrew <laughs> the Sorn. Oh wow! <laughs> I accept that. I accept my harassa. I probably would have said that myself. I don't know how close was it between me and Matt. Oh no, it was a landslide. Yeah. Okay. Andrew, I don't I don't think they put Matt in the Sorn Wisdomist higher up individual. <laughs> Let's just be one hundred percent honest. I never well, thought I was gonna get voted for the Sorn. <laughs> I wasn't I, sure if I'd be the fifth trigger in Arasa, but I would have put myself in Arasa, I guess. Well, I bow to that wisdom. Well, good. Um, we have a coronation coming up this weekend, right, David? We do indeed. We're all getting a new king. Oh, that's this weekend? 
Yes. Matt, pay attention. Uh, it's Saturday. Adam, yeah. Uh, guys, we're recording. It's May 3rd. So just if you're watching. Yes. Uh, as David and I discussed uh, during our common room, I just returned from a trip to Virginia and Washington, D.C. Privileged to preach at All Saints Chevy Chase and then do a, uh, a panel discussion with Jane Williams, the theologian and wife of former Archbishop of Canter Canterbury, Rowan Williams, and uh, Karen Swallow Pryor, noted evangelical and author. And so we did a couple of events together and a symposium, and there will be a book coming out of the conference and uh, tentatively titled Still Speaking, C.S. Lewis as Theologian for the Third Millennium. Mm, nice. What about you guys? What have you been up to? Oh, lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, before I forget, one of the patient supporters, Michael Kelly, he came up with a Malachandrian version of Christ is Risen. So if you remember in the episode that I recorded just after Easter, I said it's in English and in Greek, and I said I didn't know the old solar. And he is suggesting that it's Kra S. Maleldil. And this was his explanation. He says, it's not canon, but I came up with a phrase because it seems to be the way the Hrossa would describe Maleldil's resurrection on Tulkandra. In Ephesians 2.10, we are described as God's poema. So poem, his, his, his work of art. And Kra, literally in the old solar, refers to the final section of a poem. Mm. Therefore... The resurrection began the last section of the poem of redemption. Wow. I like it. I'll, I'll <laughs> take that one too. Man, our <laughs> listeners are just killing. As the resonant mm. linguist here in the group, I approve. <laughs> it's, it's, and it's not even Greek to you. <laughs> wow. Uh, other things I've been up to, uh, I took a trip to Chicago to watch Bareface, the oh. Till We Have Faces adaptation. There will be an episode about that coming out but with myself and my wife i've also started my new job uh, which just happens to be based in chicago so i will be at uh, the wade center fairly soon uh, and also i saw that stephen Beebe he just celebrated his 50th wedding anniversary yes so, happy anniversary dear steve and he did it by celebrating may day in oxford where they jam the streets by Maudlin Tower and they jump into the river and i love it oh <laughs> that i would uh, that i would be there at some point Oh, one thing just before we go further, because we didn't give the episode name. It is Lost in Translation after the 2003 movie starring Bill Murray and a very young Scarlett Johansson. Ah, I want to watch this because I love Bill Murray. I love Caddyshack. I love What About Bob? Very different movie. Oh, okay. It, it has some funny moments, but it is it's very, dark. yeah, dark, subdued. Yeah. But it's definitely worth seeing. But don't okay. don't go into it thinking that it's going to be one of those movies. Okay. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you leveling my expectations because I get greatly disappointed when things don't meet them. <laughs> <laughs> what did somebody say? Having a resentment is like plant, or having an expectation is like planting a resentment in the ground and waiting for it to bloom. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've never heard that. I really, I'm going to store that. Probably butcher it, but I'm going to steal mm. that. Gentlemen, what's everyone drinking today? Well, in honor of my time with Jane Williams um, and her husband, Rowan, who are Welsh um, and reside in Cardiff, I found a bottle of Pandaren, uh, which is a Welsh whiskey. Uh, it was lurking behind the decanter on my shelf, and so I thought I'd go ahead and drink some of that. And for me, today's text begins with beers, so I thought I would as well. Wah, wah. 
Ah, uh, thank you. <laughs> We've all definitely been drinking a lot of scotch recently and whiskeys, so I thought I'd go old school. We are pints with Jack, so I'm switching back to beer, and I took my brother-in-law on a shopping trip, and we bought a ton of different beers, and today I'm drinking one of my favorites, which is Hogarden. Oh, nice. I'm going to be doing a Mortlock 12-year single so we're going to be cheersing in a, a language that I'm going to guess afterwards. But the word is hijas. 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 And I'm going to guess it's Middle Eastern. No. Oh, Not well, Turkish. Just... It's Dothraki. Dothraki. Oh, what's that? Are we going? Is that another? That's. That's another Star Trek way down the... <laughs> oh, okay, we just goodness. got pinged today for being nerdy for using the Klingon. <laughs> now, first I'm okay of all, with it. Uh, I'm not fond of being pinged. Um, second of all, I should get <laughs> over myself because, of course, we should be pinged. Third of all, it took our listener that long to really be convinced that we were nerds. <laughs> right. Yes, I was a bit surprised about that as well. But yes, this is from Game of Thrones. Wait, we got we got pinged. I missed it. I have to yes. go check that out. You guys mean with Slack? Yes. We were called out for using Klingon. Yes. <laughs> uh, and who are we toasting? Whoever you like. Actually, let's toast the king. To King Charles. You know what? To King Charles. Hejas. 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 I was re-listening to our episodes, and I think I said that Tob Tob Toblermore or something, or Moyer, was quite good. That was definitely a top 10. I would purchase that. I would not purchase Mort Lodge. Mort Lodge. Yeah. Actually, that sounds kind of Klingon too. Mort Lodge. <laughs> May your blood scream. So our 100 word summary. Kidnapped and taken to Mars, Elwyn Ransom has done everything he could to avoid meeting the ruler of that planet, Wayarsa. But now, at the climax of the book, he finds himself brought before the tutelary spirit. This is the moment we have been building towards. His interview with Oyarsa, which was in the last chapter, is interrupted by some Harasa carrying a number of burdens, a procession. Today, we get to witness the complete meeting of two different journeys, Ransom versus Weston Divine. All three ignorant when they came to the planet, but one much more open than the other two. All right, gentlemen. So we finished off last week with Ransom and the conversation with Yorarsa and starting to tell him about Thulkandra when he gets cut off and witnesses this procession coming. And so we pick up from there. And as the procession is coming closer, he notices the Harasa and he sees they're well-armed and they're carrying three burdens. So these strangers that are being guarded, he didn't recognize them. So what does he see at first? And I really do like this description, so I want us to, I want us to say this. This is fun, particularly once we realize what they are. Mm. They're described as being heavy-footed bipeds, and they've got thick sausage-like legs, they're a little pear-shaped, <laughs> and they're shorter than any of the planets Hanau. And we're told that their heads were neither round like those of the Rossa, nor long like those of the Sorns, but almost square. And that their faces were masses of lumped and puckered flesh of variegated color, fringed in some bristly, dark substance. 
<laughs> and now for the grand reveal. By the way, the Sorns were long-headed. I'll take that. Not Edward Longshanks, but I'll take Andrew Longhead. <laughs> <laughs> and now, gentlemen, what were they? Well, I love this because they're men. It's Weston and Divine. But for a moment, he sees them through Malachandran eyes. Um, mm. And this always reminds me of being 19 and 20 years old. And I traveled to Spain for six months. My father lived in the Canary Islands. And because I had Spanish and because I had kind of a Spanish coloring, um, I was just accepted by my cousins and everybody else. And so um, I lived a European culture, a Spanish culture for six months. And then uh, it came time to come back to the States. So I caught my flight from the Canary Islands up to Madrid, and I was going to connect my on my flight from Madrid to JFK. And as I'm approaching my gate, I saw this riot breaking out at the gate, and people were shouting and pushing and yelling at each other and just being completely obnoxious. I'm like, what happened? Was the flight canceled? What's What's going on? And as I got closer, I just realized with European eyes that it was just Americans being American. And mm, that sounds about right. Had that same experience, you know, for a moment, not recognizing um, what what my natives looked like. So sorry, <laughs> rest of the world. And what's funny about this incident is back in chapter 17, Ransom uh, was reacted really badly to the Fiffletrake's rendering of his portrait. He said it made him look like a fungus. It looked weird. Yet here he is seeing with those eyes. Mm -hmm. And do you think, because the description pear-shaped kind of fat legs and stuff <laughs> was in part to, I don't know, demonstrate the, the, the foolishness of them, but then also do you think it was partly a result of the heaviness of the planet squishing their bodies down? Isn't this technically a heavier planet from a gravitational perspective? No, it's, it's lighter. That's how ah. they can travel so quickly. That's why everything grows so tall. I, I don't think Lewis is trying to offer any deep insight or symbolism through this. I just think it's simply, this is how humans look when you compare them with Frosta on the one hand and Cerrone on the other. Yeah, they're long and lanky. And I'm not sure when the expression, it all went slightly pear-shaped, came about. Um, but they're also, uh, you know, a little bit over, overweight. They've, they've certainly indulged themselves. I'm not sure if that was still the case um, after a year. They, who knows how many tinned goods they had. So I wonder. Well, as the group comes even closer, he sees that the burdens are dead Harasa, one of which is Hyoi. Hyoi's brother, then Hyahi. 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 Pretty good, man. Addresses Ayarsa. But Ransom is distracted by Weston and Divine, who haven't yet noticed. And so how are they looking uh, as, they, as he starts to see Weston and Divine who don't notice Ransom yet? What are, what are, what are we seeing so far? Yeah, they, they look pretty rough. He describes them as pale and travel-stained, and he realizes that the bristly dark substance was stubble, facial hair, because all the humans seem to have been letting their beards grow while they're on Mars. And Weston is described as an elaborate expression of desperation, and Divine is in a state of furious sulks, which I'm <laughs> going to use to describe somebody in the future. And the, the text notes that 
they both have reason to be afraid and they realize it, but they're keeping that British stiff upper lip. Yes. You know, Lewis actually had a beard for a period of time. I think there may have been something medical or something, but he just didn't shave. Uh, no pictures of it, but it's hard for me to imagine such a thing. But yeah, they're looking a little worse for wear. Well, and in this next progression, we see another reminder of the beautiful relationship between life and death with them. And I thought this was interesting. So Ransom starts paying attention to Hiyahi, Hiyoi's brother, as a reminder. And he's he's speaking to Oyarsa and now. And so what is he? what are the charges that he's bringing against West End Divine? It's kind of interesting because it's the murder of Hiyoi. And we're reminded that he was a great poet and a hanacrapunt. Uh, but interestingly, he doesn't charge them with the death of the other two Frosser, mm-hmm. who seem to have been killed in the process of capturing the humans. And they regard this as almost fair play and the equivalent to being killed by a Hanakra. That's almost he feels they cheated. They're hiding in the forest. There's mm-hmm. no fair chance. Right. It was out of nowhere, shoots him from a distance where they have no a problem. coward's weapon. Coward's weapon. They use that language. And they have no problem with death in the proper sense. If you're living out your duty, fighting something else that's living out its duty, and your duties are clashing and you end up losing, that's okay. David, don't laugh. <laughs> well, and it's a... <laughs> I know what you're thinking. <laughs> that was a lot of duty. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. Please continue. No, no, no. It was... Um... It's certainly this kind of imperialistic um, move, right? I'm going to kill anybody who gets in my way. Uh-huh. By the way, I solved the mystery. Lewis had chicken pox uh, long after he had grown up. And it's bad if you're a man because, of course, you can't shave the spots on your face with the spots on your face. So I grew a beard. And though my hair is black, the beard was half yellow and half red. So, uh, so there's your Irish redheaded Lewis. I just wish I could grow a beard. <laughs> oh, we wish you could have too. <laughs> <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, mine will probably be coming off in the next fortnight. Oh, really? Why? It's springtime okay. and I'm about to meet my baby girl and oh. got, to, got to look pretty sharp for meeting a lady. So I figure it's coming off. Are you saying you don't look sharp if you have a beard? Mm-hmm. I look manly. <laughs> Dave, is this the first we're hearing it to grow? Or did I just, this is go over my head because everyone seems to be having kids around me. I actually announced it on the show. Yeah. And you were there. <laughs> She's going to be called Lucy. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, I do remember this now. <laughs> Thank you. I think every one of my friend's wives is pregnant right now. I, I actually don't. This is so bad. I don't actually remember every one of my friend's children's names because we're probably 15 to 20 now. I'm like, how are the little ones doing? <laughs> well, you have absolutely no excuse for forgetting Lucy's. You are correct. Yes, absolutely not. Even if you do forget her existence. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, now we're at the point where after Yahi uh, speaks his truth of the situation, Wiarsa steps in and asks Weston Divine why they killed Hiyoi. Really focuses in on that and clearly agrees that this was... Uh, a mistake. And so how do they respond, gentlemen? It's that pigeon English um, that they that they get to. But even before that, um, no surprise, they can't see him. And so they assume mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. ventriloquism. And of course, there's a, a, there's a real parallel in that hideous strength. Um, they mistake a drunk bum 
for Merlin. And they talk to him as if he's Merlin. And so this is a device that Lewis will pull up later. Um, and then the dunking, of course, of- What's he communicating there? So if that's the device he used, like what's- is there a reason he uses that device? Is it, yeah, they're idiots. They can't see what's really going on, <laughs> right? They miss Merlin and mistake him for a bum. They miss the mm. archangel of a planet and mistake him for um, uh, mistake sleeping him for a elderly. sleeping older cross, right? By the way, I was thinking about this in between sessions. I've always thought, okay, these Oyarsis, these Oyarsis are not all that important because you know you've got powers and principalities and angels and archangels but then i was thinking the oyarsis it was when i was recording the script for murphy the oyarsis of thulkandra was very great and in fact the greatest of the archangels so i wonder mm -hmm. if maybe especially as lewis portrays it i wonder if maybe the archangels of the planets because this is perhaps the only populated solar system, who knows? Maybe the angels in our solar system uh, rank a little more highly than initially I thought. I thought they, these are just kind of, you know, archangels of little planets, but not archangels of galaxies or of, you know, uh, <laughs> you know the solar systems. So I don't know, just the thought. Uh, I think you're right. I think if, if we're gonna say Satan was the Oyasa of Earth, and we know that he was the greatest, it's said many times in scripture and, and tradition. Yep. I, I think you're right. I think it is no small thing to be the tutorly spirit of a planet. Hmm. Yeah. So thank you, Murphy. Good thinking. Yeah. So at this point, Weston makes an elderly Haras mistakes, an elderly Haras who has fallen asleep as the medicine man who is asking the questions. So what does Weston say to him? <laughs> Well, first of all, he invokes the wrong god. He says, by Jove, I've spotted him. Should have been by Mars. Come on, man. <laughs> uh, but this is when we start to hear how good, or rather how bad their Malachandrian is, how bad their old solar is. He says, why you take our puff bangs away? We very angry with you. We not afraid. So their language proficiency is not very high, which is kind of hilarious if you remember how condescending he was about non-scientific subjects mm -hmm. earlier in the book. Well, it turns out that learning a language is kind of difficult and you're not very good at it, Weston. Yeah. But he demands to know why their guns have been taken away. He says that they're, they're angry, they're, they're not intimidated in the slightest. And when Oyasa asks the question again and asks him why he's talking to that horse over there, Weston replies, you let us go, then we talky-talky. You think we no power, think you do all you like. You no can. Great big headman in the sky send us. You no do what I say, he come. Blow you all up. Poof, bang. And reading this, it actually takes a little while for you to work out exactly what he's saying. Yeah. But here he's saying, he's demanding their freedom and saying that they can still hurt all of them there if they choose and that they've been sent by somebody very powerful, great big headman in the sky, Another Rick and Morty reference, I'm going to point out. Uh, and this- uh, You mean another time that Rick and Morty stole from C.S. Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they read this. And, and Divine all the time, he's exhorting Weston just to say that Hoy's death was an accident. But Weston, he knows the orthodox way of working with primitive people. And this is the way to do it. And he won't be turned away. There's also, I think, something incredibly ironic because- when natives are portrayed, oftentimes, especially in colonial literature and especially colonial literature of this period, 
you know, think back about, I mean, it's not long after Heart of Darkness, things like that. Um, the natives are always portrayed to be ignorant because they don't speak English well, right? And it's kind <laughs> of a slam against them. And so this pigeon English or pigeon Molochondrian, pigeon old solar um, that uh, Weston and Divine are speaking, um, in some ways kind of turns imperialism on its head. So it's the invaders who are stupid and have no nuance. And I love the contrast with how at this point, Ransom's so fluent that he speaks almost the same as, you know, you, you don't see any linguistic differences between him and the native speakers and the Eldala. So, all right. After Weston is done trying the, the stick method, essentially intimidation, killing them, <laughs> he switches to a metaphorical carrot. What is, it, what is he offering them now? He's like, let's, let, let's try a different method. Much pretty things. <laughs> and then we're told he pulls out a cheap necklace, which was probably brought at a low-end high street store, Woolworths. Uh, Woolworths isn't in England anymore, but it was when I was growing up. And he then prances around saying, pretty, pretty, see, see. And the reaction is not good. <laughs> I was yeah. going to say, and what's the reaction? Well, it's good for the Malachandrians. You know? They get a huge- Haven't had stand up here in ages. Yeah. <laughs> And it's kind of like, um, you know, the whites trying to buy uh, Manhattan for a pile of beads or so the fable goes. Um, and yeah, it's just, it makes them ridiculous. And then they laugh, um, you know, and then, and then Weston and Divine are furious. And that reminds us of someone else who gets furious when we laugh at him. Um, and that's, of course, the devil. Uh, the opening for Screwtape, um, Lewis quotes Martin Luther, the devil, that proud spirit cannot endure to be mocked. Mm. And so if you cannot flout him with, um, with texts of scripture, you should laugh at him. Um, and so this is what's happening to them. And they're deadly serious and they hate it. And Weston seems generally quite humor deficient. We're told that he didn't know the Malachandrian word for laugh. And he didn't understand it very well in any language. Yeah, he kind of thought they were roaring at him or trying to intimidate mm. him back. So he, he kind of misinterpreted it. Uh, and then we see Oyarsa step in and he, he's just confused. What's, what is this Weston? This is making no sense. And so he asks, are they hurt in their brains? Are they too much <laughs> afraid to answer? Uh, and so he's literally asking Ransom, what's, what's wrong? And I'm, this is just confusing him. And what did Ransom say? He says that they don't think Oyasa's there because they can't see him. Uh, I, that's another piece of uh, Scutapian advice right there. Don't believe in anything that you can't see right in front of your face. And he explains that they don't think that the, the creatures here are very intelligent. He describes them as very young cubs. Mm -hmm. And so Weston, the thicker man, uh, what he's trying to do is he's trying to intimidate them and offer them gifts. And it's not going well. And quoting a line from Milton, the stars in their courses were fighting against Weston. Mm -hmm. Well, you also see an echo of this in the last battle many years later, um, five, uh, 10 years later, um, where the dwarfs can't understand the speech of men. And they think that the that um, lion, the Aslan speaking to him is just this animal grunting. And so... Uh, perception has a lot to do with a willingness to enter into the communication. Um, there's actually a decent pastoral lesson here 
about our willingness to be good listeners. Um, I'm shocked at how much of my day, my rector says, I don't take counseling appointments, I take listening appointments. And it's surprising how, well, perhaps it shouldn't be surprising as a priest, um, how long people will talk if you just sit there with an open expression and let them talk and a willingness to hear and to hear with love, which is, you know, what I try to do in my craft. That's in some ways how communication will happen. Uh, what you have here is Weston and Divine so tuned to their own voices that they won't hear the voices of any others. And they hear a joyful noise as something that uh, is just caused to fear. So these guys are just idiots. And there's <laughs> a lot here. I'm just, David, I don't, even, I don't think you mentioned it explicitly, but you had it in your earlier notes from today of just perception and the role of perception in here. And Andrew, I really mm -hmm. like the way you phrased that. I mean, they literally saw laughter in the complete opposite of it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it just goes to show how warped their perception is. Now, we, we enter a point, though, where Ransom finally makes himself known or they, they notice that Ransom is here. And he speaks truth to their ignorance and says, all right, guys, we need to stop treating them like children. They're not children. They're actually quite intelligent. And it would be honestly a pretty good idea to give some honest answers. So he's really trying to help Weston Divine out here. It's probably got to be kind of painful for Ransom up until this point, just witnessing all of this. <laughs> and so you'd think Weston would potentially respond positively because everything has failed up to this point. Now he's given advice from someone who seems to be seeing it, but that's not exactly what happens. No, because he's getting advice. <laughs> he's getting an opinion other than his own. Yeah, that's a great He doesn't point. respond well to that. That's a great Yeah, point. that's his problem mm -hmm. from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he pretty much refuses to accept that the creatures are intelligent. And his choice of language is very telling. He says, the brutes seem to have intelligence enough to take you in anyway. Mm. I, these are brutes, these are animals, and you're even less than that. But the text says that he does modify his tone a little bit. And he apologizes to the sleeping elderly Frost, uh, saying that they were just trying to give ransom to their leader, your big head, as he calls it, mm -hmm. and says that ransom, ransom, not they, ransom is a very bent man. And because he ran away, Hoy died, and they're now very welcome to take him off their hands. Mm. Well, I will, I will say this. He does actually speak honestly. We're kind of paraphrasing, but he does a one paragraph child's like language of course still talking down to them but he actually explains their perspective he really does a, a quick summary of how they viewed what they were supposed to do they were asked to bring this person and finally at least shares their completely warped but real perspective that they thought let's not um pass over uh, uh divine's um comment oh hell um <laughs> it's before lewis is writing the oh hell I believe 38. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that. definitely. Not by much. Um, but yeah, it spends nine years writing it and it comes out in 52, 53. But it reminds me of, um, of Iago who invokes hell. Hell and night must bring this monstrous birth to this world's light uh, in, in Othello and Shakespeare. And we kind of pass over the references to hell. But hell is someplace that, you know, Lewis really believed. And hell is someplace that Shakespeare and his audience really believed in. And so this invocation of hell is worth noting. Um, and I also want to know 
who is this big man of Thulkandra? Who are they talking about? Are they thinking about bringing a, an atomic bomb? Um, are they appealing to somebody like a god? Are they trying to frighten the Malachandrians with a bogey of some sort? I I don't know exactly um, what they're trying to do. I guess it's just an empty threat, but I wonder what he may have in mind. That sounds like I might be wrong here, which is more normal than not, but... I honestly, I swing for it, Matt. Go for I'm it. I'm going to swing for Don't it. Don't hold back. Uh, I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I interpreted it as again they they've the big man was the actual person that called them to to bring this person. You know, they, they no, 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 not the big man of the Sorns. But he says, "Hey, if you don't do what we want, our big man will come for you." And I still interpret it as the big man of the Sorns because I thought he was still thinking he was working for that individual and this was getting sidetracked from that um so th they think he's bringing no great great big head man in sky he send us i i have a, a solution which sort of brings all of this together yeah i think that they are assuming that they're handing ransom over to some god some idol something that the this people deems as supreme and powerful and what they're basically saying is we've got one of our own mm-hmm so he's trying oh. to play into what he thinks is oh. their superstition. Wait, who is the great big headman in the sky who sent Weston and Divine to Malachandria? Malachandra. It's Satan. God. It's um, Satan. Or at least that's who. That's who. Well, sort of, because because we found out they have been killed. I think they're posing. I think they're saying, hey, we have a big headman in the sky, which is God, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. it really was Satan that sent them, right? For the perpetuation of their race, to to strip mine Malachandra for gold. They are under like Satan's it. orders and we'll see Weston possessed by a devil in Paralandra. And so although they don't know it, Right, they're unknowingly um, telling the truth. They are unknowingly telling the truth, mm, and oh, Yarsa's smart enough to go. Oh, I wonder if the big headman of Thulkandra sent you because Oyarsa knew mm. him. Oyarsa knew yeah. um, the Oyarsa of Malakandra knew Satan and wanted to hear more about him. So I think that's what that is. Although they don't really know, I think you're right. they certainly wouldn't have believed it. I can get behind that. So there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's ask then what Oyarsa thinks is wrong with Weston. <laughs> yeah. Something is wrong in your head, Hanau from Thulkandra. There is too much blood in it. <laughs> so Oyarsa, he calls a fiffletrig with a name that I'm not going to try and pronounce after oh, I can do a it. bottle of beer. I can do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. You guys have to try to because Matt I can do it. always struggles through stuff. Where Give me it? some Where pleasure here. Let's see. Ferikitakila. Ferikitakila. That's my guess. Ferikitakila. I'm loving this. Ferikitakila. Yeah. Ferikitakila. Ferikitakila. I don't want it to sound like tequila. Tequila. It's it sounds like tequila. Tequila. Fairy. Fairy. Question of the week: How do you pronounce that name? Please send us an MP3. Fairy tequila. Yeah, that's what you said. Fairy tequila. 
Yeah. Well, anyway, that, that <laughs> fiddle trick. Not Lewis's most uh, poetic. I, well, yes. Uh, Oyasa tells him to take Weston to the guest house where they all arrived and to bathe his head in lots of cold mm. water seven times, uh, which is a pretty biblical number right there. Um, and while Weston is still trying to work out where this voice is coming from, um, he then suddenly has Ross start to take him away and Piffle Triggy and he starts to panic and he even calls out to Ransom. But funnily enough, the text says Weston himself was shouting too loud to hear him. Mm. And Andrew, you said something earlier, which also made me think of this passage from James. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. I also just love that Lewis worked waterboarding into there. No, <laughs> it's not waterboarding. It's, it's enhanced interrogation like techniques. It. No, it's not waterboarding. Um, it's a, uh, it's first, it's uh, second Kings five. Um, is this the, the Syrian commander? Yeah. The Syrian Naaman and he's healed mm -hmm. of leprosy. Yeah. So here, yeah, there it is. Um, Naaman's got leprosy. He comes to, um, he comes to Elisha, but at least he gets to bathe seven times. He right. doesn't get dunked. <laughs> right. But go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. And your flesh will be restored. And Naaman balks at it and and doesn't agree to do mm. what the man of God says to do, right? And so- you're, you're right. I'm reading it. And in the text, it says, and then several frosser grabbed him by the arms and dragged him towards the Jordan and dumped his head down several times. Yes. Yeah. The Jordan. Totally. <laughs> man, Andrew, you're, you're fully right. I was really hoping, though, that Lewis just subtly worked waterboarding into there as a socially acceptable way to torture them. <laughs> Hadn't been invented yet, Matt. <laughs> oh, really? Give it 50 years. <laughs> this is 1938. That's fair. Yeah. All right. So now we actually get a, a pretty change of, we're, we're coming back to the dead Harasa and get a really beautiful scene here. Uh, so as Weston is taken away, Ryarsa turns to honor the dead Hanau. And so 10 Harasa gather around the beers, the buyers, however that's- Beers. beers. Definitely beers. around beers. <laughs> and, and start to sing. And this is the part I selected the quote of the week from because I just really, I, I thought there's a lot of beauty in here. And so what do we see, you guys? What, what, what's the picture that we're seeing and, and how does Ransom respond to this? Well, they're singing a funeral song. And Ransom had heard the Frost sing before. I went back and checked. Mm. But when they begin this time, he receives a moment of insight, a moment of grace. Yes. And the, the text says that almost everybody at some point when they've encountered a new form of art, and you could swap it out for anything, ballet, classical music, impressionism, salsa music, whatever, there comes a moment when it goes from being meaningless and you suddenly catch a glimpse of its beauty, its intricacy. Mm -hmm. The way he describes it is a corner of the curtain is lifted up. Yeah. And the narrator says that he receives the insight for two reasons. And this was your quote of the week. Through his knowledge of the creatures and his love for them, Ransom began to hear ever so little to hear it with their ears. So knowledge and love. Or what someone might say, clarity and charity. <laughs> mm. Yes. Very nice. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Going to circle that and not going to footnote you. <laughs> um, along with the kneeling down at the river and all the other good things. 
Matt will mistakenly mention this three years later because David went back and corrected me when I thought I was 100% correct. He sent me the clip and it was right there that that was said, but there was a separate comment. Like it sounded like 10 seconds after that David made, that was the, the, the real one. And I do have to point out, gentlemen, that was 42 minutes before any reference to Till We Have Faces. <laughs> this is great. We can do better next wow. time, I'm sure. But well done. Well, I'm, I'm done. already out of scotch. But I, you know what, though? I, I do want to pause here because there's an incredible lesson that I think today we need to hear in society. I feel th- it's a very polarizing society just in, in many aspects, not just the political aspect, but just there's a lot of division and divisiveness. And unfortunately, we're living in a world where knowledge of the other side or of people of different views and values tends to be lacking because mm-hmm. of the isolation that we can have today, the the creating your own echo chamber from a technological perspective we can have today, Mm -hmm. the ability to live your life without even encountering other people. If you really want to, I think is, is been an insane detriment to humanity and it's led to less love, you know, without the knowledge, it's hard to have the love. And I'm really convinced one last thing I'll just say here quickly is I'm really convinced the cure to our problems today and this has been my own experience has kind of validated this, at least for me, is just being with people of different views and just listening to them and being around them. Because I'm amazed that when I meet people of different values and views from me, most often you're going to meet some, I almost used a harsh word there, but you're going to meet some less than pleasant individuals, of course, along the way. But on average, my experience has been most people are genuinely trying to do the best they can. And they have a different perspective and it's just life upbringing that led to it. And it's just wonderful to do that. So, Well, and remember the definition I keep coming, going back to about love um, is going out of ourselves and towards the other. So rather than trying to make the language or the music meet his own rhythm of his blood, he is acknowledging the different rhythm or at least the narrative, you know, Lewis is describing the different rhythm and the different pace, and he's giving himself over to a new artistic experience. And that's what Lewis says all the way through. Um, There's a wonderful new book. I haven't read it yet, but it's by Jessica Houghton Wilson, and it's called Reading for the Love of God. And she spoke at the the Oxbridge Conference. It was just fantastic. Um, And reading, as Lewis describes, requires a certain surrender. And, you know, if you've ever traveled in a foreign country where you didn't speak the language, um, at least when I have, when I have, or even when I spoke the language, but not all that well, you know, or as well as I wish that I did, it gets exhausting. And I just wish people would talk right, which is so <laughs> egocentric and narcissistic and cultural centric and privileged and all the rest of it. They are talking right. And it was when I, I first really began speaking Spanish when I was sitting at my father's kitchen table and I said, this is mesa, which really means table. <laughs> I'm like, for God's sake, Lazo, 32 million people all around you will only ever think of this as a mesa. And why do I need to translate it into my language to make the thing valid? And so I began then giving myself over to the taxing, often uncomfortable um, task of accepting the language that was coming at me, even if I didn't understand it, instead Mm. of trying to quickly translate and make what they said into my language, I tried to enter into 
a Spanish-speaking world. And fundamentally, I think that that was at least an attempt at an act of humility and an act of love to say yes to the Spaniards and no to me really kind of helped me forget myself into, and my Spanish got better, of course, but I think so too with love. When I get out of what I want and think about what somebody else might want, you know, when a parishioner comes in and the conversation is long and I'm thinking of all these different handholds or subjects that I can bring up, when I forget myself and just go, just listen, just listen and don't think of how I may respond and see if I can take in the whole of their conversation and see how it helps me understand the whole of their person. And don't interrupt that thing. Um, that's when I feel like I'm at least on the corner of the edge of the verge of starting maybe however imperfectly to love. And I think that that's part of what Ransom's doing here. And he's doing it in response to beauty, right? Which is what always moved Lewis to, towards joy. And so I think it's a beautiful picture. We can't go on because that funeral, I've thought about having this as part of my funeral liturgy. Um, so <laughs> let's continue talking about that. Well, and that's the, uh, before we get to the ending part, Andrew, I want uh, to get your specific thoughts on the song because you are a resident poet and this song was beautiful. That's mm -hmm. what I mean about the funeral liturgy. Mm -hmm. I've thought about maybe having that in my service. Let it go hence, let it go hence, dissolve and be nobody. Drop it, release it, drop it gently as a stone is loosed from the fingers drooping over a still pool. And look, 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 look. Look at all the O sounds. Go, go, dissolve, no, body, drop, drop, stone, drooping, pool, go, down. Right? Um, and so Lewis is trying, I think, and I think he's maybe having some fun with it, trying to write Malachandrian poetry in translation, which is the kind of crazy thing that Lewis did all the time. And all of those sounds, they force you to elongate your mouth. Yes. And that is that your, your mouth is forming the shape of what it's saying they want to happen, dropping, letting it go, uh, descending. It's interesting that they refer to the body as it. Because uh, if you recall, mm -hmm. Hoy was originally an it by Ransom's estimation. And it's not until uh, the Hanau part of him has left that it returns to being an it. And earlier, in an earlier episode, I mentioned about the parallels with uh, Lewis's mother's body. And even the line, let it go hence, mm -hmm. appears on the gravestones of Flora, Lewis himself, and his brother. Mm -hmm. Men must endure their going hence from yeah. King Lear. Yeah. Well, and I want to say too, I mean, I'm not the resident poet, but I just love how it says once below the surface, there are no divisions, no layers mm -hmm. in the water yielding all the way down. All one and all unwounded is that element. Send it voyaging where it will not come again. Let it go down. The Hanau rises from it. This is the second life, the other beginning. I'm picturing a phoenix rising from the ashes. Mm -hmm. Open, oh, colored world. This is opening up as there's this death and rebirth going on. Without weight, without shore. You are second and better. This was first and feeble. Once the worlds were hot within and brought forth life, but only the pale plants, the dark plants. We see their children when they grow today out of the sun's light in the sad places. 
it just was this really beautiful. <laughs> We're making language. a part of it, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, there's just, it's the language was enough to give me this like reminder of the hope for eternal life. Yes, that this is not everything. In in the how do you live like a melichondrian? Mm-hmm. You orient your mind to eternity. Yes. You put first things first and second things second. And yes. they do that really well. And as long as you do that, the second things will come. But if you put the second things first, right, you we're going to have issues. Yeah. You get neither. Where is that from? Because I just heard that. Was that me listening to one of our previous episodes? Yes, that was me quoting the essence of the essay, first and second things. There we go. See, Andrew, you just drop wisdom I miss when we're recording. And then when I re-listen to us, I'm like, dang, Andrew brought it. Well, you catch about half of it when you listen a second time. (laughs) (laughs) And there's also an echo of both mere Christianity and the great divorce. Sure. Uh, Sure. The the, the idea of what you go for, if you go for the wrong thing, sometimes you get nothing. But if you go for the right Mm. thing, then you get everything. So listen also to the alliteration of the poem. And so that's got this kind of Anglo-Saxon thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Hence, dissolve, release, stone, loosed. Fingers still sink once surface divisions, layers, um, and then water all the way down, all one and unwounded, right? All one and all unwounded. You've got this kind of Anglo-Saxon poetry. So Lewis is really playing around with several forms of poetry here and having fun. Um, and yes, you're right about the it. Lewis doesn't assign a thing sentience until he knows it's sentient. So Mr. Beaver is it until he starts speaking and they know what he is and then it's a he. So often it comes with gender. But I found it interesting and I want to ask this question. Maybe this is the question of the week. Let it go down. The now rises from it. So we will be reunited with our body because Maladil the Younger, blessed be he, was reunited with his body. Our Malachondrians, Malachondrians only now in their spirit, and will they be reunited with their bodies? Because let it go down, the now rises from it. So maybe now is soul, right? I actually wrote in the margin, what might this mean? It sounds a bit pagan to me, question mark. Because it almost sounds a little bit of a denigration of the body, that the hanau is all that actually matters. I don't think it necessarily has to be read that way. And there could still be a, a concept of resurrection of the body on Malakandra. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting thought. Well, one of the things we know is that, and that this is part of our conference, we talked a great deal. Uh, one of the people's, uh, uh, Junius Johnson's paper was about Paralandra. It was fantastic. We know that, and I had forgotten until he reminded us with a good quote, we know that Malakandra is older than Thulkandra. And mm-hmm. Malakandra and Thulkandra are both younger than or older than um, than Paralandra. And so maybe only in that now, that maybe the soul was all of the, the now, and certainly in that world. And so it's not that a now is soul and body until Maladil, blessed be he, becomes a man while still remaining God. Maybe a corner is turned at the incarnation in terms of the universal relationship with the body. And so I'm happy if, um, if uh, Malachandran is only a soul and not 
a soul and a body. And I'm happy if they have no bodily resurrection because Maladil doesn't ever do things the same way twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, the very last section of this chapter, the song's ending, and Oyarsa gives uh, an almost liturgical command. Let us scatter the movements which were their bodies. So will Maladil scatter all worlds when the first and feeble is worn. Hmm. As the Harasa softly resume their song, a Fiffeltrig comes, Fiffeltrig comes forward and touches each of the corpse with some crystal-like object. Mm-hmm. So first, actually, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on that liturgical command. So will Maladil scatter all worlds where the first and feeble is worn? What do you guys think is being stated there? Basically, that everything is going to come to an end. Mm. We have it in in this discussion with Oyasa, the fact that all worlds die. Yes. And Maleldil will scatter all worlds when uh, the heavens and the earth are worn out. Uh, and then they will be uh, remade, replaced with the new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's an uh, an Aristotelian element here. I'm sure that's what Matt was about to say. And so sorry for stealing your thunder. Um, uh, <laughs> You're the, too kind, Andrew. The, pri- the prima mobile, the prime mover, the unmoved oh, first the mover. Oh, the prima mobile. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. Anyway, I yeah. can't believe I didn't. Can't believe you just took the words out of my mouth. I, you know, I can't believe it either. <laughs> but- the the one of the theories about God is that God is the unmoved first mover. It is God who sets all things into motion, right? And so, what happens when we die? I mean, we just had a parishioner die earlier this week, and we've got another one that's about to. They stop, right? They stop moving, and so, and this has always intrigued me, and I never really thought about it until we you know, have been discussing it today. But I wonder if maybe one of Lewis's definitions for the human is a movement. And he also talks, doesn't he, about I could have touched the movements of your ship and resolved it into nothing. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's God who moves. We are in his likeness when we move. We are still in death, and then at the resurrection, we uh, resume our movement. So, um, to define humans as movements, um, or define the bodily existence as movement, at first blush doesn't seem to make sense, but our bodies are always moving. And when they don't, we are not alive. Well, gentlemen, last question I have for you guys. When the Fiffeltrig touches each of the corpse with that crystal-like object, what happens to them and uh, how does divine respond to this we, we can't forget that divine is still here <laughs> and of course there's going to be a very wise response from him of course <laughs> <laughs> well the bodies disappear in a flash of light and a gust of wind they've effectively been efficiently cremated mm-hmm. so if andrew does have this uh, as part of his funeral liturgy i'm the one that wants to disintegrate his body <laughs> uh, Develop the device there, Fiffeltrig, David, and, and you can use it. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. I you do like a challenge. <laughs> and I did want to point out, it's beyond the scope of our discussion here, particularly as we're winding down the episode, but we have records of the Inklings actually arguing about the validity of cremation uh, a couple of years after this book was published. So if you want to hear about the argument they had, check the show notes because there'll be a link there. 
But you asked about how Divine responded. Really creepily, that's how he responded. Well, and what's the first thing he says? God. And who, which God? Well, that's a question. He's either blaspheming or invoking a bent one. Of course, no, well, he's, he's, he's blaspheming, of course, but he's inadvertently invoking it, and his God is himself. Right? Yeah. And that's where, the, well, that's where the Darko Yarsa, the Bento Yarsa of Thulkandra can really start working because he's opened the door to him. Mm. Well, he says, God, that would be a trick worth knowing on earth. Solves the murderer's problems about the disposal of the body, eh? <laughs> so again, I'm going to ask the question, what happened to Miss Alice, who previously owned the house in which Western Divine were staying? Oh. We read about disrupted earth around the house. Was it only from heavy machinery or might we find a body beneath oh, it? Nicely Ooh. observed. Nicely uh, observed. David. Yes, you get clapped. Slow clap worthy. <laughs> yeah. I agree. David takes a sip of his beer. <laughs> He's like, I'm well, well earned. Pleased. Well, absolutely. As well you should be. Uh, yeah. Well, any, any, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. Any concluding thoughts, gentlemen? I love the fact that the end of the chapter ends in a moment of real sadness born of great love. And um, I don't think any other science fiction writer could have imagined the kind of compassion and, and philia and storgy and love between uh, these creatures. And I'm glad that he, uh, that he, that he ends that way. Mm. Well, for the audience question, this is going to be a deeper one. So, but I, I would love to have someone actually answer this genuinely. And if we read it on air anonymously, but that might put some pressure in. This story has been about this transformation of ransom from ignorance to seeing through the eyes of the Melichondrian. And I'd love just someone to share a story of a moment or a season of life where they went from ignorance to empathy mm -hmm. would be really beautiful. And again, it could be mm -hmm. completely anonymous. It's just, I think there's just something here of, and, and, and I'd love to hear people's reasons of, of what, what was causing the ignorance. What were some things that allowed them to, to get past it? I mean, I just think there's, there's some beautiful stuff there. So if you feel called or inspired to write a few paragraphs and want to send it to us through email, contact at pintswithjack.com, go to our website. Uh, there's a contact us on there. You can go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, just type in Pints with Jack. Uh, and, and of course, let us know if we can read it on air. If you'd just love to share it to appease my desire to read a beautifully wonderful story and say we can't share it, we won't share it. Yeah, but let us share it, please. <laughs> <laughs> Again, anonymously, it would yes. happen. So anyways, gentlemen, I hear the call for final drinks. And so I want to say thanks to our listeners. You guys are fantastic. We have a very devoted listener base uh, based on those Apple statistics of repeats. Uh, I want to thank the Patreon supporters, particularly our top tier supporters, uh, Matt, Jake, Erica, Marvin, Joel, Deborah. Still waiting for Deborah two guys. And Deborah three. There. And Deborah three. Uh, Amanda, Emmy, Thomas, Bill, Joanna, Bud, Shane, K, Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Stephen, Matt. There's two Matts. Hey, David, we got to move that one up. So it's Matt one, Matt two. Okay. Kelly, Kelly, Chris, Kate. Peter, David, Angela, and Rowdy. I love that there's two Matts. Matt's just <laughs> Matthew is just a gift from Yahweh. Matt, if you just uh, if you if you were a Patreon supporter, there could be three. 
I could secretly <laughs> Give do us that. Some money. You could tithe. <laughs> And we pray for our listeners all the time, and we pray for our Slack prayer requests. I love those guys. Uh, and the Slack is just continuing to grow. I love We've had a number of additions recently that are just very scholarly individuals, and it's just wonderful when you get that balance in it. And, uh, of course, thank you, Taylor, our audio engineer. Yes, Taylor. And, yes. And, guys, if you – I should we should do this sometime at the beginning of the podcast. I bet a lot of people jump off when we start doing our thanks. But um, – Keep rating us reviews. They keep coming in and I'm surprised we just continue to grow in the ratings. And that's just, it's a gift to us to hear from you. And then selfishly, it helps us with the algorithm and to share this message. Please, please go get us over the 500 ratings, even if they're not five stars. But I always like to say, if you're not going to get five stars, tell us why. It's very helpful feedback. And finally, guys, please join us next time. When we'll continue going further up and further in. Josh. Hey, Jess. Cheers. <laughs> Dangers, like, forget it. <laughs>